Hey folks, today's episode is about the use and misuse of the word triggered and is more or less a companion piece to our last episode in which we covered content warnings. Joining us for this conversation is singer-songwriter Ali Zagami, and all of the music cues that you'll hear throughout this episode are from her 2019 EP, PG Keen. So if you like what you hear in the scoring of this episode, please go show her some support. In the spirit of this topic, I do have to drop a trigger warning here. This episode contains several references to sexual assault. None of them are graphic, and none of them are meant to evoke a negative response to any listeners. But if you're not in a safe space, or you're not prepared to listen to that kind of content, please save this episode for a time when you're ready. Enjoy the show. All right, I need to make sure, because like I'm pretty sure Jay's hand just crept up behind you. Thank yeah, there God it is you again. saw that, man. I, was... I just need to make sure it's not a murder. <laughs> I thought that was in my head. That was freaking me out. No, I was like, oh, okay. Him. It's going to be this kind of night. No, that's him. <laughs> <laughs> you freaked out, Joel. Are you happy? They thought I was going to get murdered. Nice job. Go back to bed. <laughs> You saw it first, because if I saw it, I would have just screamed and toppled. <laughs> he does that all the time. All the time. Whenever he wakes up before he's supposed to, he's like, I'm going to go scare her. Let's see what I can do right now. Let's find a new way. I mean, why Doesn't not? matter. <laughs> because it's terrifying. I'm sitting here. No, because, okay, I'm writing like a psychological thriller book, like an intense book. So to get into the mindset, I put on creepy music. I turn the lights off. I have a few candles. It looks like I'm summoning a demon. I'm just sitting here with creepy music, going for it and writing my book. And then I just feel hands on my shoulder. (laughs) I just saw He wrote on my whiteboard earlier today, and I just looked up and saw that too. I'll leave it though. It's cute. Uh, he writes, okay. you what can write? do it. This is my plotting whiteboard that's in front of me. And he just wrote, you can do it on this. <laughs> I thought where that was going was that he wrote something to scare you as well. I would have thought so too. I mean, I, I know that's not my handwriting. So that's, I'm like, wait, what? What did I write? Oh, no, that's actually sweet. So I'll okay. leave it. Uh, well, today we're talking about the word triggered. What a uh, transition. What? <laughs> Sorry. Not the time. Where did you get that? Where did you get that? We don't even have white sheets. Where did you get that? (laughs) In case I leave this in, Allie's fiance just walked in as a ghost. We're assuming that was Allie's fiance. We don't know. Yeah, there was a sheet. No, the dog was following him. That's how you know. The dog always lets me know. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Unconfirmed, but seemingly okayed by the dog. Yep. Oh, my God. Uh, Okay, so at the time that this comes out, our last episode will have been about content warnings. And what their merits are and what their dangers can be and when they're useful and when they're kind of overblown. And the same is definitely true of the word triggered. It is a useful word, but also an overused word. It is a necessary word within the realm of psychology, but an abused and often misleading word 
when used out of context or frivolously or colloquially. So basically, Matt, should we recap what we learned when we were reading about content warnings? Yeah, I'll, I think that what I remember the most of it was the the crux of our whole conclusion was that they are more beneficial than they are harmful mm. and that it's just kind of a respect thing. For the most part, it's like you don't have to necessarily believe that people should or shouldn't be sheltered from something. It's just that if there is a topic that, like I think I use the example of, especially in a podcasting medium, because I think we decided medium would matter. If it's something, for example, like somebody could be driving down the highway listening to an episode and then the episodes will roll and roll and roll and just keep going, you kind of, I think, owe your listener the benefit of knowing what's coming a little bit if it's something where they might potentially be thrown into a panic while they're driving. You know, like if it was, say, a suicide episode and somebody had had an experience with that recently and didn't feel comfortable just having that sprung on them, they should be able to opt out. So I think we left it in a place like that where it shouldn't necessarily become such a politicized thing. It should just be kind of a, a human decency thing. Yeah, I agree with that. And also that it's different from censorship. I think that was a distinction we made at some point in that, that it doesn't we mean did. you can't say stuff. It just means that you owe people who might just have wandered in. We did make that distinction, and now we're kind of disambiguating triggered from offended. Yeah. Because um, as you just said, like the risk you run is that someone might have a panic attack. Someone might react very viscerally. But there's a difference between that and being sensitive to a certain topic. So Allie is here. Hi. And she has. <laughs> uh, Allie is going to kind of help us sort through this issue. And since we've already kind of covered when trigger warnings are necessary and when trigger warnings are beneficial and when we should be considerate of when to use them and whether to use them, I think now we have to get into the kind of murky territory of when you say the word trigger warning, what does it mean to be triggered? Or what does it mean to trigger somebody? For sure. I think, like you said, there's a huge difference between triggered and offended. Because saying something offensive is just everyone has an opinion. If you're going online and stating your opinion, oh, that might be offensive to someone. But I wouldn't argue that opinions are by default triggering. I would say if you're triggering someone, you are bringing up a sensitive topic that tends to relate to trauma, some kind of trauma. And for anyone that doesn't know, which is probably everyone listening, um, I work on this YouTube channel where I'm doing research and some of the topics are really, really heavy. And so we put those content and those trigger warnings and things like that when they are really intense and that usually relates to child abuse, sexual assault, suicide, and things of that nature. So I would say it's triggering if you're bringing up those things because they relate to trauma. So that can be triggering because that can make someone kind of flash back to that moment. But I wouldn't say that something is triggering just because it's an unpopular opinion. Sure. I think too many people use it like it's an unpopular opinion because people will say, oh, this person is so triggered by my opinion. And that's just, <laughs> I mean, that's not how I see it. I think that's, I, mm, 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 that's not how I see the, the word triggered. So it's become such a 
made fun of term made fun of term because of that it's become such a joke because of that where people will say oh look at all the sjw's that are triggered by my opinions by my unpopular or maybe right-wing conservative opinions oh look they're also triggered and that's not what triggered means i feel like triggered should just be used as it relates to trauma because Triggering just means you're having a flashback kind of thing, or at least that's how I see it. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. No, I mean, that is, that does seem to be the original usage of the word. Yeah. I'm not sure when it started to be used in the vocabulary of offending somebody's sensibilities or political beliefs or ethical beliefs. But yeah, in the realm of psychology, which I suppose we're here to defend today. <laughs> <laughs> I guess if its origin, it. <laughs> if, it, if its origin is in the realm of psychology, then I suppose we're we're arguing against its application outside of that realm. Yeah. Because once you bring it outside of that realm, it loses its original meaning, its original urgency, and what it's meant to protect. Personally, I think that's a danger when a lot of these types of words become colloquialisms too, because when you think of a lot of psychological terms or like even names of disorders, like even just like depression or something like that, once it reaches popular culture, it takes on an entirely different meaning. And that's the meaning that most people will understand because not everybody has a DSM lying around or something. So even with something like that, like you hear a lot of people saying, oh, I'm so depressed or like, oh my God, like I just got depression. But it's like, it's different from somebody who is depressed, like can't get out of bed you know, is fucked up and is sick and like hurting and needs a little bit of help with that. Like that's a different thing and that's a much more serious thing, but it gets almost watered down sometimes when somebody might be sad or somebody might just be having a tough time and they're just different things. And I think it's similar with something like triggered. It's like, that doesn't just mean that an opinion prompts a reaction in you. It means like, yeah, it triggers a PTSD response almost. But once that severity is lost, once it gets sort of filtered out through people who don't always interact with those types of things. It becomes such an easy thing to pick on for people who don't know, you know? Like, I think there's a real danger in that when it becomes something as acute as a panic response or a trauma response or any number of things that can be attached to something that is triggering. Yeah, I would say that's the same with anxiety too. Yeah. Depression and anxiety. I, I heard someone, I can't remember who said it, Some someone said this, recently when in some kind of video essay I was watching where they're like, oh, you know, depression and anxiety, it's fine to use because those are two of the, I guess, most common mental illnesses are the ones that we're most aware of with depression and anxiety. So people can say, oh, you know, my depression has depression, my anxiety has anxiety and kind of tease it and make fun of it. <laughs> but you never hear people doing that with like, more severe mental illnesses. You never hear people doing that with bipolar or with schizophrenia or personality disorders. You never hear it with that. So why is it okay with other ones? Well, it's, I, I feel like I've heard you, you sometimes hear schizophrenic used that way. Sometimes. I guess I'd just say not, not as common. It's not as yeah. common to say like, oh, I'm having a schizophrenic day. Like you don't, <laughs> yeah, you don't, hear, you that don't hear that. People don't be like, my schizophrenia is awful today. And there's still... It's interesting how there's still stigmas around mental illness, but only certain mental illnesses, as if some are better than others. And it's like some might be harder to manage than others, but that doesn't mean that they should have a worse stigma behind them or that those people's experiences are 
less or more valid, I guess. I guess with Triggered, it's kind of a similar thing where it, it can get overused and maybe go into that main culture, like you're saying. But when it's in popular culture and media and stuff like that, it's important to remember, hey, other mental illnesses are still important too and shouldn't be taken super lightly. Well, it's also hard to defend those when you consider like something like depression or anxiety, especially once you've come out of the whatever funk it had you in. It's not always easy, but it is very possible to recount what happened or make it palatable to a wider audience to some extent. But something like schizophrenia is so unknown, even from a medical point of view, it's harder to defend it in those terms. And so it still looks just scary to people who are uninitiated. It just looks... You know, best case, you're Sid Barrett. Worst case, you're the person in the subway who's freaking out. And like that to a lot of people is all they understand about it. And it's harder to to form a rebuttal that most people would be able to digest. And I think something like trauma is similar because in order to properly explain it, you kind of have to put people there or share an experience that most of the time you don't want to share. And yeah. And that's the whole point. So it's almost a paradox, you know, and it, it's really hard to give it the proper footing that I think it would need in order to blast that part out as wide as the actual colloquialism is gone. Yeah, absolutely. Plus, there's also just the fact of how schizophrenia and personality disorders and things like that are portrayed in the media when they are out there. It's usually like the serial killer had schizophrenia and things yeah. like that. So that that doesn't exactly help either, I'm sure, when those are the popular depictions of it. See, I thought that you were talking more about just using those terms colloquially, as in like, we live in New England, so we can call the weather bipolar a lot of the time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Not that you would talk about your own condition that casually or about somebody else's condition that casually. So I guess when we're talking about colloquial usage of these kinds of terms, of terms that originally were specific to a mental disorder or a personality disorder or some kind of condition, at what point does colloquial usage become unacceptable or become detrimental to the topic? Oh, man. That's a good question. And I I say, well, and I say at what point, because like when we're talking about depression and there's like a more, I don't know if I would call it a colloquial usage, but the more liberal usage of depression is if somebody doesn't necessarily have clinical depression, but says I'm depressed, does that at all lessen how they feel? Because it's not a clinical diagnosis, Mm -hmm. but it still applies to their felt experience. So... Again, maybe not a colloquialism in that sense, but at some point, a liberal usage of a term crosses a line Mm. and no longer serves or honors the people whose felt experience might be belittled by that liberal usage of that term. Well, depression and anxiety, I think the thing too is that both of those, you could say, are emotions, not just mental illnesses because you can say I feel anxious like in a way that you say I feel nervous and that doesn't mean you have anxiety so I'd say there's a difference between saying I have anxiety and I feel anxious Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. because if someone if an average person walks up to me and I've been diagnosed with anxiety 
And if someone came up to me and was like, I feel really anxious, I wouldn't be bothered by that at all. But yeah. at the same time, if, you know, I'm chatting with someone and they're like, oh, my anxiety has me not wanting to do this today. And I knew very well that this person didn't have anxiety or wasn't diagnosed with it. I'd be like, is that really your anxiety or is that just you not feeling like you want to do that? I, I don't know that I'd necessarily question them or be offended or super annoyed, but it would be maybe a more questionable use of the term if you're saying my anxiety, I have anxiety when you don't and you just are nervous about something as opposed to um, ha I feel anxious today or I feel depressed today, I feel down today rather than my depression is making me not want to get out of bed. It's like, is that you not wanting to get out of bed or is that actually your depression that's weighing you down as it weighs down so many people with depression? So I maybe that also kind of feeds into colloquial usage because even though, you know, other mental illnesses out there might have a colloquial usage, like I've never heard of somebody going, I feel bipolar today, I feel such and such another mental illness today, you don't really hear that as much, but depressed and anxious, you could. Yeah, I don't think it's necessarily inherently offensive either. Like colloquialisms, I think, are just such a natural thing that crop up. Like it's just sort of, it seems to be the way that a larger community processes information. I mean, so many things have started as more niche or more specific terms and have proliferated out and become slang or just changed meanings or something. I don't necessarily think that that is inherently wrong. I think it can be harmful in a lot of cases, but I feel like the issue is more about like backfilling the right information in there. You know, like making sure that if it is a topic that you better disambiguate a few things, like make sure that that information is able to get out so that people just kind of know like it might not be okay to just toss this one around. Like this is a legit I think like trauma is one of those that specifically like should just be off limits to a lot of things that are allowed to be glib because for whoever that actually applies to, it's never going to be glib for a split mm -hmm. second. That is going to be a razor sharp thorn in their side until it's not. So there are, you know, no good days. There's less bad days. But I think that's the thing to me that like differentiates some of these topics or some of these terms rather is like just the severity of it and the amount of information that's out there about whatever disorder or whatever situation is attached. becomes difficult too, though, when you, um, <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and use the word snowflake culture. I was uh, waiting for one of us to do <laughs> It had to happen. One of us had to. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm not hating on this at all, but like we are definitely in a time where people's feelings are being honored more than they were however many years ago. A lot of that has to do with social media. A lot of that has to do with like the so-called SJW movement or whatever. It's more common now for you to see people's feelings being honored. And so if somebody uses a word like triggered to describe some kind of white right-wing uh, hate speech offending their moral sensibilities, and it has nothing to do with trauma, but aren't we more likely in the 21st century to see an interaction like that and empathize with them? Aren't we more likely to say like, oh yes, you deserve to be offended by this. You deserve to have your own feelings about this and you deserve to speak out about why it's offensive to you and why you would not like to see that in your space. 
because that's just them being vulnerable. And if nothing else, that's something that we have to promote in our culture. But take that to somebody using a word like triggered and sort of wash, like white, whitewashing the meaning entirely, like washing away the original meaning of the word. And aren't we more likely to empathize with them? But should we be? Mm. And should we? And in that instance, is it okay? And this is kind of really what I'm getting at. Is it okay to step in and correct them on the usage of that word? Is it okay to say like, hey, I know you're offended about this. You have every right to be, but the vocabulary you're using is problematic. I would say it's, a lot of it is intent, which is really hard to read, but a lot of it is intent because if somebody told me a sexual assault joke or something, I might say, hey, that's really triggering for me. Could you not? And that's not me flippantly using the word triggered because anyone who knows me knows that actually might be triggering for me. Mm -hmm. But if somebody else were to say, oh, that's triggering for me and maybe they haven't had an experience in it. It's like, well, they're just saying that might seriously offend me. It it kind of depends. If someone tries to weaponize the word triggered, be like, oh, you're so triggered, or don't say that, it triggers me. If it's in an argument kind of context and they're just saying it out of hate, which it it's hard to read intent. I mean, there's no tone button for the internet. I mean, I know some te- some people like type slash s to tell people they're being sarcastic, but you know, there's no tone button for the internet. If you're being hateful and you say you're so triggered or don't say that I'm triggered, then I'd say, yeah, that's not a proper usage. Don't do it that way. Don't spew it when you're arguing with someone. It shouldn't be so flippant when the original intent was, hey, this is a trigger warning, or I am triggered, I'm feeling that it's a way to say that. So in that context, I'd say it's appropriate to step in and be like, hey, please don't just abuse this term and throw it around to try and make your point. But if someone steps back and says, this conversation is too triggering for me, then I'd say respect that. That doesn't seem like they're misusing it. So Hmm. a lot of that, I guess, boils down to intent, maybe. I think it's an education thing sometimes too. Like, I, I get the sense every so often that, like, we'll say they're the right wing community, just as an example, but somebody that would come down on someone for using the term trigger warning or something. I think that a lot of people really don't react well to just new terminologies or new fields of studies that seem to have popped up because I, I forget this a lot because, you know, we've flown in artistic circles for so long that it's like, it's just an everyday thing. I honestly, forget that the world doesn't just interact with a lot of these terms every day. And then I'll see people like, you know, that I grew up with or something and remember like, oh yeah, this was not something that they were ever going to encounter. So I think a lot of people are really intimidated by how niche some of these things can start. And it might be worth it too, to try to like, to try to disseminate some of this information in a way that's a little bit more forgiving to those people because it must be like waking up one day and all the channels on your tv are different or something like there's just something that you didn't even think was a normal that you just took for granted and all of a sudden there's like there's new terms there's new rules there's new whatevers and some people just don't give a shit they just want to 
have their day. And I'm not necessarily wired like that, but I don't know. I mean, there's enough of them that I can't really discount that either. So I feel like there has to be something to appeal to people like that who might not inherently want to cause any harm. Because there are obviously people that are hateful too. But there's that middle ground who are just ignorant, really. And just because they, the world is advancing around them. Oh, yeah. I'd say that's why it's also intent. Because the thing is, if, if somebody mistakenly uses the word triggered, I'm not going to assume that they did it out of hate or malice or anything like that. I'm just going to say, oh, hey, I don't really think that's the proper use for that term. And I, I don't think there's nearly as many angry people on the internet as we always make it out to be. Yeah. I'm not saying so there's either. not. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm not saying there's, I'm not saying there's not, you know, there are angry people, but there's not as many as you'd think. There's a lot of totally reasonable people out there. It's just that the angry ones are sometimes the loudest. But I think that um, in a script that I did for this YouTuber for research, I used the term sexual preference when it should be sexual orientation instead, because it's not a preference. It's not a choice. This is, you know, how I was born. I feel this way. It's mm -hmm. not a preference. It's an orientation. And in a script, I mistakenly used sexual preference. And when the video came out, Blair did as well. And she's, she's part of the LGBTQ community. Like she's part of it. And even she read that and said sexual preference. And some people in the comments were like, oh, hey, I'd really prefer if you use the term sexual orientation. If you do a video on this instead, it's a little bit more forgiving, that kind of thing. And so she just went, oh, whoops, that was a mistake on scriptwriter in my part. We didn't realize it slipped past. We've seen that term, blah, 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 correct it. Now we use sexual orientation instead because that is the more correct term. I just grew up with it being yeah. sexual preference. And so it didn't hit me, oh, wait, this is the accepted term. This is the correct term until somebody gently corrected us. I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes total sense. So if I gently corrected someone and said, hey, you're really kind of misusing the word triggering. Could you please stop? It's bothering me. Here's why. Then if they said, oh, yeah, whoops, I get it. Of course, I'm not going to continue to press it. Perfectly reasonable person, it's fine. If someone's really weaponizing it and doesn't care and doesn't want to correct themselves, that's where I would have the problem with them. Yeah. And as Matt was saying, like, there are some people who are kind of wired in the way where they, uh, new information is hard to absorb. New information can be overwhelming, uh, especially... I'm not intrinsically wired this way, but I have had this experience of just kind of waking up one day and like all these words are different. I don't know how I'm going to learn all this new vocabulary, but I want to be respectful and I want to know what to say. I think often it's just a matter of like living in the world in an, in an open and kind way. And eventually it's, it's just like learning a language. Yeah. But yeah, it can it can certainly be very overwhelming uh, as language is changing. As again, I hesitate <laughs> to say things like snowflake or PC culture, but to the person that this would be hardest for, that might be relevant terminology. Yeah. So I think it's just important to note that there are some people who have a hard time with language and have a hard time breaking habits. And that's not to defend their right to keep those habits. But Ali, as you said, the word gently, I think that's a very important qualifier. Because I think it's important to make the distinction about intelligence versus exposure too around that. Like any of this isn't to say that 
all of those people are dumb or are behind intellectually or anything. Or I mean, I guess maybe behind in the just temporal sense, but like they're not lacking any skills that they would need. It's just there are places you can live where you're exposed firsthand to way more cutting edge culture all the time just by virtue of living there, like in an urban place or honestly just in this area, like in Mass, I think like driving through Boston or something, you're exposed to way more. There's like all these colleges and just that little you know, five mile area. There's all sorts of art scenes going on. And then I've been like when I'm traveling around doing gigs and stuff, like I've been to places where they still use predominantly dial up and they advertise it on billboards. And it's just like, oh wow, it's a different, <laughs> like that's what I always think of when I say like getting that information out there is like, there are people who just have never had a need to interact with this terminology. And then they're going out and just speaking. And all of a sudden there's all these people they'd never heard of saying things they'd never heard of and condemning. Like I could just see how that would feel like an attack. So I think the gentle aspect of it is key. And also just, I've, it's always stumped me with this and a few other issues we've discussed on this, but like, how the hell do you get this kind of information to those places in a way that just blends in, like in a way that just shows it for its true intentions, which are just to let everybody kind of have their space in the world? including mm -hmm. those people. I have no idea how, but there has to be some way. Yeah. And it's hard because I feel like meeting people that have had those experiences is probably one of the best ways too, because you can really connect with them more. Because even though I knew about the transgender community before I met someone who was transgender, I would say I didn't understand it as well until I met someone who was transgender. I'm like, I don't know how anyone could feel like they were born in the wrong body because that's not my lived experience. But in college, when I began meeting people who identified as transgender or male to female, female to male, whatever, and I'm going, oh, I, I can understand it a little bit more when I heard their story, whatever it may be. And I mean, patience is so important too. You know, I've had transgender friends that say, you know, it took a really long time for my family to adapt to my pronouns and mm -hmm. things like that. So patience is super, super important. Patience, gentle correction. And you can tell if somebody's trying too. I mean, you can really tell if yeah. somebody's not trying and doesn't care, then heck with it. You're better off without them. But if somebody's trying and they genuinely care, then awesome. Then there really isn't a problem because you just got to be patient with them. And eventually hopefully it'll, it'll work out. Um, but I, yeah, getting the information to people that have never met someone. I mean, there, there's still, you know, communities out there that are there that are so predominantly white that, I mean, the, the area I'm living in now, I moved just a few hours North of New York city. And when I'm going to the grocery store and when I'm doing all that, I, I have yet to see an African-American person or a person of color in this community. My fiance is the odd one out because he's Spanish. Like it's <laughs> everyone in the town already knows that there's a Spanish person living here. And they're like, wow, what? And I'm like, oh God, what? Like not even kidding. Our neighbor is like, oh yeah, you're the Spanish one that moved Jesus. in. And he's like, what? Like, never before has that been his experience. We lived in New York City, and now it's like, oh, yeah, that's the couple with the Spanish guy. Good God. What? What? It's so, it's so strange. It's like, yeah, his name's Jose. Like, what? What is that ethnic name that we've never heard? So, honestly, it's 
meeting those people is really where I'd say that's how you get your best information. So I can't really say I know because here we are. I think another thing to disambiguate, which we didn't really touch on when we did the content warnings episode, we can discern between content warnings and trigger warnings. The distinction being that content warnings are like, you might not be in the mood or in the headspace for this. So it's fair game to avoid it. And trigger warnings kind of assume that you're preventing a PTSD reaction. Yeah, I've always seen it as content warnings being for kind of everybody. Like, hey, this is a rough topic. And then trigger warnings I've always seen as like, there's a few specific things that could really negatively affect someone who has trauma. That That's how I, I've always seen the distinction, but I get that they're pretty comparable. Yeah. And I, I didn't even think about this until after we taped that other episode, but I was like, okay, so content warning is actually like the title of the show in a sense. Mm. It would be like the topic that we're doing is in itself kind of a content warning. A trigger warning is like what we would have to put in and splice in at the beginning and say, you know, only listen further if you are in the right space to do this or if it's not going to send you into a dark place. I think there's, there could almost be a way to disambiguate that to the public in a way that explains why this topic matters. Like in a way that explains why trigger warning is the more psychologically effective maybe, or the more necessary or the more imperative when it comes to somebody else's mental health. Whereas content warning can just come down to preference, can just come down to what you choose to not let into your world in any particular moment in your day. I think like maybe making the the idea of a trigger warning a little bit more like black and white for people so that it's understood that it, this isn't about, again, censorship or something, or this isn't about trying to bubble wrap people. It's like life is still going to be hard. People are still going to have to fight every single day just to get out of bed and stuff like it's not even remotely about any of that stuff when you get down to the core of it it's just about not setting off a specific chain reaction that will lead to a specific place I think if that's understood by a lot of people that like this isn't like some ideological thing this is just preventing this specific kind of trauma response that will lead to these chemical reactions and if that person is driving a fucking car it's going to lead to an accident like that kind of thing might make it a lot more simple where it's like, you can still talk about whatever you want. Just make sure we have evolved to a place where we can now prevent some of these things. So let's get on the same page about that. Because I think the worst thing that happens is when it becomes too politicized around stuff like that. And it becomes like, well, can we talk about this? Like, yeah, talk about whatever. But just, you know, make sure you're also calibrating for the fact that information can be distributed so freely now. And that's not bad, but it's also not familiar. Mm. So it's not like a book where you can kind of like pace it yourself. It's like, again, like the fact that we have autoplay, I think, is a pretty good case for the fact that we should have some form of warning because you don't even necessarily get to choose if you start content in a lot of different media nowadays. It just starts. And I've totally had that happen where I've been driving or something and been like, oh, Jesus Christ, and I have to pull over and figure out what's happening there. Mm -hmm. So I think that's that's an important thing, but it's not about whether or not they had the right to talk about that content. It's just about, did I have a chance to pause it? 
plus sometimes you're just not in the mood to hear that. There's some times where, you know, I watch a lot of like true crime stuff, but I also want to know what the heck I'm about to listen to because there's just some days that I don't want to hear about sexual assault, about anything like that, because I've been through that. I just don't want to be reminded that I'm a victim or that I was a victim or that I just felt very victimized. There's just days I don't want to hear that. There's some days that are just fine and it doesn't matter and I can listen to it and not be affected. But there's some times where, you know, there's some true crime podcast that I listen to where it doesn't necessarily go into disturbing detail, but if they do go into disturbing detail, they're like, hey, today's is going to be really rough. I'm like, cool, I appreciate that. Not today. And there's some times where when I've done a video for others where we might not put a content warning or any kind of trigger warning because it's just, oh, hey, this business is really bad. They stole money from people, things like that. And then other times it's, oh, there's just one or two little things here or there that are a little tricky. So we'll put a little small trigger warning, just like, oh, hey, skip ahead one minute if you don't want to hear about this kind of topic. And then there's others where it's just, we're going to just put a big fat content warning. If you don't want to hear about this topic, don't watch this video at all. Goodbye. Not for you today. And all of those are perfectly valid. I would just say that if you don't warn somebody and they're affected, it's not about you being liable. It's just about being nice to people. It's just about being kind to people and not, you know, putting them in that headspace without a warning. Yeah. You just wouldn't burst into a conversation with someone and be like, hey, how are you doing today? By the way, let's talk about this. You, you wouldn't do that to someone in real life. So on the internet, it's nice to just have that little warning so they know. It's just courteous. It's not necessary but it's very courteous that's a really good point because you also you wouldn't be able to scroll back through conversations in real life you know like somebody couldn't passively interact with something you just said to a stranger 25 minutes ago so like even just the sense that things get archived yeah do you think any of this is just that it's it's new like i mean the internet's been around for a little while but this the prevalence of it now is is so different and it's so everything is so pervasive all of a sudden and I I wonder how long it takes for things like that to become truly familiar to where we use them the way we would use a telephone or the way we would view a movie. Like, maybe this stuff just takes longer than the 10, 15 years it's been going this this type of way, you know, this cultural direction. Like, maybe it's not even an issue that will get solved. Maybe it'll just kind of get worked out the way, like, speed limits happen. You know, like, we just realized at a certain point, oh, we got to cap this somewhere or people just sort of figure out that like it's just easier to not be constantly hurting people even if you're you don't believe in being kind like it's just you'll have an easier time living life if you're not deliberately hurting even if you believe (laughs) even if you believe in being a jerk (laughs) yeah well that's what i mean it's like even there's a pragmatic approach that like some people are i think a lot of people just want to be kind but there's also people who just don't want the trouble of being an asshole so it's like just kind (laughs) of they'll go along too so the world sort of tempers itself Oh, yeah. I mean, there's always going to be assholes. I would say this one has a better chance of being kind of adopted into our everyday language, even if it doesn't end up being the word trigger warning, um, the word triggered. I, I would say this one has a greater chance in being adopted into our everyday lives simply because I've seen it brought up in 
in real conversations with psychologists mm. and counselors and things like that. So I would say it has a better chance simply because the psychology community does use it. Mm. I mean, they, in my experience, obviously, in my experience, disclaimer, I have no idea if this is the case for other people. But in my experience, when I was doing like an outpatient program for my own, you know, mental health stuff, there were counselors there that were like, let's talk about what your triggers are. Let's talk about how you can avoid them for self-care. Let's talk about how you address them. So whether or not they end up being used, I would say that it's almost like how, you know, there's ratings for movies. There's explicit warnings on like CDs that used to have swears, stuff like that. So trigger warnings to me are kind of similar to that in the way that it's just a, oh, hey, if you're young or if this really bothers you, you probably shouldn't be watching it or be in the right headspace before you do. So I would say this one has a much better chance at being taken seriously more down the road mm. than a lot of other things just because of that. Well, yeah, but that also begs the question, you know, speaking of people having to learn and vocabulary having to be adopted into our cultural lexicon. Is there any way to guarantee or even just to encourage exposure to the proper usage of vocabulary for people who are not regularly exposed to the verbiage of the psychology or psychiatry community? Or when they haven't been exposed to people who regularly participate in things yeah. like therapy or who have been in outpatient programs and stuff like that. So to people for whom these words don't typically matter, and I shouldn't say matter, but like for whom that distinction doesn't need to be as precise as it needs to be for the people who have a direct experience with it. And I guess ideally it does need to be that precise, but for the people who haven't been exposed to that urgency. And I'm just wondering, like, is there an ideal world in which things kind of cease to be just buzzwords. And how do we make that fully realized? Because if they're not on the internet, then I don't really know. <laughs> I mean, if they have... I'm sorry, that sounded really... That sounded really bad. That was... Mm, that wasn't the best way to word that. If they're not on the internet and they haven't been exposed to those people in real life... Yeah. Then I don't know how they're going to be exposed to those terms. That's the longer version of what I meant to say. Because <laughs> that's the thing. A lot of the like exposure to more PC terminology is through the internet, which is also where you see a lot of exposure to people who misuse that PC terminology the most. I would think that if they go on the internet and misuse it, there's enough people on the internet that someone's probably going to correct them one day somehow. But, you know, in reality, if they're using these terms, I mean, not in reality, in like, you know, in day-to-day -day life that's not on the internet, if somebody is misusing this term in their average day-to-day, -day, I, I don't know that they would be corrected. Like right now here in, you know, middle of nowhere that I am, if I go into the supermarket and misuse the term, I don't know that anyone would correct me because I think that the community where I'm living is a little bit more out of touch and, you know, that's their life. No judgment to them. That's, they have yeah. their little community. They have their own way of speaking to one another and that's okay. But I think that 
if they were to meet someone in New York City and speak that way and use those terms and possibly use offensive terms, then I do think they'd be corrected and say, hey, look, maybe this is okay for you, but it's not okay for me. And you can either accept that and not use those terms, or you can be set in your own ways and not respect my opinion, which isn't very cool. You know, not respect that this means something else here, because I don't want to say that it's a different culture, but in a way it is for people that aren't using social media, for people that aren't exposed to that, for people that don't know what content and trigger warnings are and aren't exposed to a more PC culture, they're in a less PC culture, which is their right. But I think that if people in less PC communities put content out there and didn't put a warning or a trigger warning on the internet, if someone from a more PC culture saw that, they would probably correct them and explain why trigger warnings and content warnings are important. Hopefully they would do it gently because, again, being gentle and patient with someone we have discussed, but I think they could be enlightened about it and learn about it if they were putting actual content out there that needed it. That brings up an interesting divide, too, that I had not really considered in these terms before, but just the notion of something called PC culture as an individual thing, you know, that sort of implies that there is this other culture and it's leaving another culture behind. Yeah. And I feel like that is just flawed to its core as well, because that is an inherently an attack to a lot of people, you know, so... In that context, it's already impossible to frame anything in a truly gentle way as if you're sharing a discovery as opposed to condemning them with some new rules. Like, I feel like there's flaws down to that level with the way that some of the language has been taught up until this point because it never should have been construed. There's obviously going to be people who are just immature about it, but the fact that it was construed that way widely enough that it formed its own team... You know, it shouldn't ever be anything more than like a a panel or something, you know, like there's going to be people more in the know who can trickle information down. But I don't think it should ever get any more unified than that. Yeah, because it almost comes across as like an, a cultural offshoot or like uh, like you think of like a, a new religious sect being formed and they're yeah. calling out the corrupt values of the old ways. And what they're saying. And so it is an attack. It is an attack on what used to be. And it is like the formation of a new culture that will evolve. And the purpose of the evolution is that things were bad before. And so if you're still stuck in the old ways, then you are what is necessary to evolve out of. And I've seen a really positive example of how that could go um, playing in the comedy scene. Mm. Because I've played in like the folk scene a lot, which is generally pretty aligned with the PC culture that I think a lot of people love or hate or whatever. It's it's pretty textbook in that sense. And then the comedy scene is just pretty blue a lot of the time, you know? Yeah. It gets pretty, uh, pretty raunchy. But I've also weirdly never felt safer in terms of like a true safe space because everybody can say goddamn anything. Like it can get heinous, but there is an absolute line and anytime someone crosses it, yeah. That is corrected. Like, I did a show completely naked one time. Oh, my gosh. And it was the most, like, <laughs> it fully just, like, 
I felt completely seen. I mean, I was completely seen. But <laughs> I felt seen. I felt like, I mean, I've like never felt more secure as a performer on a show. That's kind of cool. It was though. awesome. It was, it was the weirdest thing though. Cause I was like, this is a safe space. Like this, I feel completely just like if I fuck up, they're going to tell me where and they're going to correct that. But it'll just be in like a, hey, dude, you don't say that. And that's that rarely happens. But every so often somebody would say something homophobic and the comics would would be like, hey, no, no. And it would be this weird pack mentality all of a sudden, but it would be fixed immediately in this very human way. It was never sanctimonious or preachy. From what I saw, at least, it was never even intellectual. It was just like a pack of dogs, like kind of getting one and back yeah. into the pack for a second. And it felt just very, very human and very relatable. Like the person knew they screwed up, but then the ship kept moving. And I was always really taken by that, that like it just, it never got to be the thing that I think a lot of people really condemn about this. And so it actually snuck through the cracks and accomplished what I saw as true progress, really created a community. That's so good. It was really cool, but I've That's seen so it so rarely. I've seen it a little bit in punk too. But and those are just like scenes, you know. I can't, I don't know what the real world does, but um, no one knows the real world anymore. <laughs> Quarantine life. But I I wonder sometimes about how tendencies like that or or ideas like that could be borrowed and and deployed in different cultural circles because it just seemed more relatable and it felt a lot less intimidating. That's really cool, definitely. Because I was actually a lot of times trigger warnings factored in in this really kind of weirdly passive way because people were doing their act about whatever. So it was interesting to see sometimes like people talking about their life, if they've had a traumatic life and this is how they were coping, that's going to be their act. And there were some times where I was like, Jesus, I got to like, I got to get out of here for a sec. But I just, one day I was like, I can, I can just get out of here for a sec. And I did. And I felt completely free to, and it was this weird like subtext that made it feel so permissive all of a sudden and I felt that in so few places but I think that could be beneficial to the world if that type of climate were established more widely. I also think it's very interesting that your testimony is basically that you're able to coexist in two worlds one of which knows almost no conversational boundaries and one of which necessarily knows many. Yeah. And so like to be And I I have to be different people in both of those worlds. Right. Just out of necessity. And I don't think either world is necessarily valid or invalid. I just, there is an ease to the comedy world that I don't feel in the folk world. But then for my personality, there is a comfort in the folk world that I don't feel in the comedy world. I wasn't about to say that either one of them is right or wrong. I was about to say that that's a testament to the ease with which we should be able to adapt to any given sensitivities in any given scene in any given situation do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it should be that easy. This shouldn't be a story about you and your special ability to self-monitor in that way. I am a god amongst men. Well, obviously, so this is yes. an impossible standard, but, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my god. No, I know what you mean, though. Yeah, like, but well, it's always just read the room. You know, it all just comes down to like just read the room, just sort of see what's going on. And that's really hard for some people. I mean it. I I just keep coming back to intent too. Yeah, you know, it's it's all intent. I I've made jokes about my own sexual assault because I've had it multiple times. Like it's happened to me multiple times. And so if I'm sitting with a friend and we're talking about it, 
I'll sometimes say, yeah, I guess I'm just really rapeable. I've got one of those rapeable faces. And it's like, that is way too much for some people. That is way too much for some people. But see, you two, like, you're laughing. And I'm laughing. And it's fine because I say it so casually. I say it so casually and it makes people laugh. And I love that. If nothing else, my horrendous trauma can make somebody bust out laughing. I love that. Like if it can do nothing else, at least it can do that. And I'll say that and it'll just be like, oh, yeah, because there's no situation where I would expect that to come next. No, there's no situation where you would expect them to be like, I'm just a really rapeable person. It's like, oh, fuck. That's. That's a sentence that came out of your mouth. And so in some contexts, that's absolutely fine. And it makes people laugh. But if someone is telling me about their sexual assault and I just blurt that out, it's like, now might not be the best time for that. Read the room. Know if that person is going to be okay with that. And if they're not, then you better apologize for messing up like that. That's not okay. If you're really affecting them with what you just said if that's really truly offending them then be like i'm sorry you know i i was trying to put some humor into it that's my way of making light of a very difficult experience so with a comic doing something like that you know it's a way of coping for sure yeah and if it's being said by somebody who hasn't has those those experiences like if a guy that i know has not been sexually assaulted i'm not saying men can't be i'm saying if a guy that i know has not had that experience is making those jokes like can you not make rape jokes in front of me i'm probably not the person to make those two it's a little bit different when me and someone i'm very close with will make that joke like if i experience that and then one of my male friends who does know me very well will just be like you know Allie you've just got a rapeable face and they say it as a joke it might be fine by me if someone I don't know well says that to me then it's going to come across as creepy. Yeah. Like when I say it to you guys, it's very clearly a joke. But if a random stranger were to walk up to me and say that, I'd be like, you need to be in prison. Yeah. What the hell are you doing? Because there's no inbuilt so, trust or safety or anything exactly. there. It's just, it's a terrifying thing exactly. to say to someone. Yeah. yeah, like I've just said that. But if a stranger said that to me tomorrow, oh my gosh, I'm going to call 911. What are you talking about? Don't say that to me. So it's, Trust. Yeah, like if, because I feel like you can get to a trusting place by just that mutual respect with somebody. And, and it, if you, you know how there's like all those YouTube videos and things of like how to tell if someone's lying and like how to read like facial, there's always that kind of like criminal mind stuff that people love. Mm. Like, what if they just taught how to tell if someone is freaking out? You know, like <laughs> stuff like nice. that. Like, just. Because you can kind of, I mean, that's how I do it. If I'm in a room or in a conversation, like a lot of times, I actually find this incredibly difficult with um, with Zoom and stuff now. And I'm trying to like relearn this, but I used to find in the actual world, like that was a thing that made conversations a lot easier. You could kind of just feel out a conversation initially and see like if this person got like a little bit tense all of a sudden when I wandered towards a certain topic or if I cursed too much or anything like that, then I would sort of be like, oh shit, I should try to, wouldn't always work, but I would try to walk that back a bit. And then 
But stuff like that, it's just body language. And it's the same way, like, you learn to maybe not bear your true soul at, like, a job interview. Or, like, you're in line at the bank and you don't say, you know, here's and just drop, like, a real good punchline on the teller. Because to most people, that would <laughs> yeah, be... Yeah, I'm not going to tell that to someone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Imagine if you just, like, were, like, leaning against the thing at the bank and were like, man, I tell you, my face. And just, like... <laughs> I know, right? To anyone would be like, Not Jesus Christ. And like, <laughs> yeah. it would just be insane. But that's like, there's this whole kind of notion about how people conduct themselves in professional situations or transaction type situations or in the, in those worlds. But there isn't really one for just interpersonal interactions beyond just be polite. But that's so vague and it varies kind of community to community. So mm. if that yeah. was formalized a little bit more and taught in a more step-by-step way instead of the nebulous like just don't be a dick it's like who can follow that rule i mean yeah a lot of people can but a lot of people might just straight up not know how oh yeah and a lot of people on top of it have trouble reading certain social situations like there's a very large portion of the autistic community that does struggle with that and that doesn't mean that they're not trying to have a good intent or they don't want that trust in a relationship or anything like that but there's just large you know, large groups of people that struggle with reading those social situations and social cues. So I think, I mean, this is, again, just a very personal experience with me. I really like to just ask my friends and ask those people I'm close to, hey, can I just talk to you about this? Can I just bear my freaking soul to you? Yeah. And, you know, it. sometimes you just need that. I think it's it's needing those people and knowing those people if I tell them this joke, it's going to be fine. You know, if I open up to them about this, it's going to be fine. It's knowing that you have those people and that solid relationship with them, that you can have that trust with them and that it'll be okay because they understand your intent. They understand where you're coming from. And worst case, I guess, bringing us back to the actual idea of like a trigger warning, like if you are truly in doubt, you can ask about most things you can just kind of be like hey is it all right if I just kind of lay it on you for a second because then they can say no or be like hey I'm not in a headspace for this and I think that's effectively what a trigger warning does Mm. is just kind of says hey we're going to talk turkey now are you cool with that because you're allowed to not be cool with that and I was also thinking about the fact that like it is evident that you're coping with it like as long as I've known you you've been putting those experiences into your songwriting and into your poetry and into your humor. And it's been clear that you're coping with it, but I would never, I don't think I would ever just willy nilly (laughs) make a joke about that to your face. Um, You would never just go, Hey, I'll eat your face. (laughs) I don't think so. I mean, now that we have this, maybe. I mean, now you might. Now now that it's an inside joke kind of thing. I'll eat your face. No, I'd be very uncomfortable saying even that. I won't even repeat it now. Uh, Yeah, I don't think I could say the full sentence. Like, when I was saying it, like, a few minutes ago, I was like, I stopped myself halfway through because I was like, Jesus, how do I finish this thought? Like, the thought makes sense to me, but I can't say these words in this order right now. No. Or ever, maybe. I don't think I can do it. No. But I think that's also, like, an assumption that can't just be made, you know, that somebody is coping. Like, I've known a lot of people who have had experiences with sexual assault. And I don't know that I would ever assume that anybody was in the space to joke about it. I don't know that I'd ever assume that anybody was even in the space where they had coped to it to the degree that someone like you has. Or 
to any sort of degree that would make it okay to not check in with them if you're uncertain. Yeah. But yeah, even that goes back to intent. Even that goes back to like whether they're coping with something or not, whether they have PTSD or not, whether they are someone you assume could be triggered by something or not. Like, isn't the empathy there to begin with? Like, like, shouldn't it be a foregone conclusion, I guess, that some degree of empathy might be necessary just to make sure that somebody's day isn't fucked up, just to make sure that you're not treading into unknown territory or treading into somebody's past with something that you say or something that you assume. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, if I bring up the topic, then I think it's a safe assumption if someone were to joke about me with it or talk to me about it, I would probably be okay because I'm the one bringing up the topic, willingly diving into it. I mean, it's still good to check, but, you know, if I'm talking with Jay or a friend or my mom or whatever about it and they want to continue talking about it, it's like, well, I brought it up and I can always say, hey, I've had enough of this topic. It's starting to get too deep for me and I know that they'll respect that. But I think if somebody were to just randomly mention it to me, whether it is a friend or whether it is someone I trust, if they're like, hey, let's talk about this topic. Let's talk about sexual assault today. I'm like, do we have to? This isn't necessarily something I want to talk about (laughs) at random. I might be in a good headspace. I might not right now. Obviously, I'm in a good headspace and I have many more good headspace days than bad headspace days. But for example, for me, March 7th will always, always, always be a bad day because it's an anniversary of one of these times. March 7th, always a bad day for me. I always take a huge self-care day out of it. Mm-hmm. It's practically it's practically my birthday the way I celebrate it now, honestly. Um, well, I'm like, today is going to be an amazing day. I release my EPs on this day. I have cake on this day. I chill on this day. It, yeah. You know, that is my big self-care day because I know it's a hard day for me. So if someone were to bring it up to me that day. Nope. Nope. This is a happy day. Don't want to think about it. Not going to happen. But most other days, it's probably fine. It's just a intent and checking in on someone and being sure. So you have this new collection of songs coming out. I do. Hopefully March 7th. Oh boy, really? Yes, that's what I'm hoping for. Because, I mean, that's a terrible day in my history, so I like to release all of my music things on that day when I can. Wow, so you're really, you're <laughs> taking it, it back. it makes it happy. Well, this is, this is not, I mean, it's not even at all about this, about those topics. It's, um, none of them are really related to each other, honestly, which is kind of weird. They're all about very, very different things, but they're all told in a similar way, hmm. I guess. It's all kind of lo-fi with some cool beats. I'm really liking the sound of them. I feel like I'm not doing it justice here. I'm not making anyone interested here, but it's going to sound cool, I promise. (laughs) That's okay, Allie. Describe it as an animal, if it had to be an animal. If it had to be an animal, it would be a manticore. Okay. It would be a manticore. Many different things, but really tough. I have to look up. What the hell a manticore is? It's got, I think it's the head of a lion, the tail of like an alligator. Is it the thing the from the second coming? The body of like coming? a bear. 
No, let me... Hang on. Am I thinking of Manticore or something else? Oh, man. That's... Yeah, I would listen to that. Joe, we should put this in the show notes or something. Yeah, this is a cool-looking animal. Yeah, it's head of a man, body of a lion, tail of a scorpion. Oh, so it's not the thing from Yates. It's the second coming. No. Okay. <laughs> oh, I I meant to say Chimera, but it could be a Manticore, too. Chimera or a Manticore. They're both things because yeah, we're chimera, gonna put these in the show notes <laughs> the chimera is a fire-breathing hybrid creature composed of parts of more than one animal so a chimera is just parts of multiple animals it's usually got a lion with a goat on its back a tail that ends with a snake's head so it's either a chimera or a manticore is what my album is okay okay that's what i'm gonna say all right manticore would be a cool indie genre you know, like sad core, slow core, hardcore, romanticore. I don't know what it sounds like, but that needs to be a thing. That needs to be a thing. I want to hear manticore genre on Spotify, please. I wonder if it's been done. Hasn't everything been done? I feel like everything has, but that might be something that hasn't. Who knows? Could be on to something. Um, I feel like we got there, and Ali, if you want to promote this thing um when i'm more awake we can do a friday night folk thing remotely i mean calling it a manticore isn't enough no i'm kidding (laughs) (laughs) and that's our show thank you to ali zagami for being a wonderful guest whenever i've interviewed her i've always found her to be a great spokesperson for mental health and her input definitely added a lot of value to this episode We'll be back in two weeks with a conversation about sober spaces, and we'll be trying to get to the bottom of when and whether they are necessary, not just for artists, but for anyone. We had a panel of guests for that conversation, so you'll hear our friends Devry Godspeed, Pratik Padar, and Brian Huntress all addressing that issue. Black Market Therapy is a Dead and Mellow production, and again, this episode was scored using selections from Ali Zagami's EP, Peachy Keen. Until next time.